Are you just gonna add some copyright to you there? Okay. All right, we are live, guys, and I am so excited. So excited. So um, we are here with Mr. Andy Fickman, director. Yeah. Yeah. yeah film so noir right now, right? Very film noir. Mm. <laughs> it is film noir. Murder. With the light shadows. <laughs> gotta do it. I get there now. I got a whole crew standing over here making the light come across that way. I got 48 people in here. Totally distant. Most of them are outside. So, uh, yeah. I bet I like wherever I go, I have to have a big crew. That's what it takes to get that lighting in. <laughs> None of this is natural. None of this is natural. Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. We are so excited. Welcome to the Too Legit to QT with Maria and Tish podcast. Woo -woo. Woo -woo. Today, we are here with Hollywood director Andy Fickman. Andy, thank you so much for coming on to the show and talking with us today. Thank you for inviting me. I was uh, thrilled. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> so we're about to get into our bag and um, let people know about how to level up with you. So are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So um, Andy, um, I mean, I was looking at everything that you've done and you have literally had an amazing career. I mean, you've, you've, created some movies that we like grew up on, like Hocus Pocus with Bette Midler. I love that movie. Me and my sister, we love that. Man of I was just the executive on that one. I didn't create it, but I was Well you were well you were part you were part of it. Yes, you were part of it. I got a t-shirt. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you directed <laughs> um Man of the House with Chevy Chase. Uh, that one I was still just the executive on it. But I got a I got a t-shirt. You got a t-shirt, okay. No, but but speaking of that, speaking of that, as we're getting into the conversation, you have worked with some really great, or have seen some really great comedians. Richard yeah. Pryor, Chevy Chase, uh, Gene Wilder. Wilder. Gene Wilder, who is like, my God. So how, how was it to work with these people? <laughs> I mean, I mean, your response was my response, and the opportunity to to not only work uh, with them, work for them. I did development for Gene Wilder for several years, uh, uh, where I had the opportunity to meet Richard, and, uh, and uh, we worked. Uh, there was a project we were doing, and um, you know, when you meet your idols, uh, there's always a little fear that they are going to disappoint you. Um, and that uh, I've been very lucky that was not the case for many years. I after I worked for Gene, uh, I went to work for uh, for Bette Midler, uh, who I'd loved, and uh, that's when we did Hocus Pocus and multiple other movies. And then years later, as a director, I got to direct Bette and uh, Parental Guidance, but that was with Billy mm -hmm. Crystal, who was one of my all time favorites. So, you know, you if you have a uh, uh, any any sort of good luck within your career, you're gonna be surrounded by some amazing talent. 
Um, and in that case, when working with just some of the funniest people around, uh, you just spend as much time laughing. I've done multiple projects with Kevin James. We're doing a new series for Netflix mm -hmm. right now. And Kevin's just nonstop laughter. Like you have to, I always feel like I'm just sort of a guest on the set uh, watching uh, watching the show. Mm. Yeah. And, and if you're like, for me, I'm kind of like, uh, I, I love, I love Gene Wilder. I love Richard Pryor. If you are into like, you know, the classics, old classics, um, then for me, it's always like such a treat because I've never will be able to meet them, you know, because they're, they're gone to meet people who have met them. How were they, you know, the, well, Gene was, I mean, Gene was a genius. Uh, uh, he was a writer, he was a director, he was a producer and an actor and a novelist, a uh, writer. Um, and, and he uh, and his producing partner, Susan Ruskin, really did a, an amazing job of sort of, I was a kid out of Texas. So yeah. I grew up watching every movie I could. So then to sit there, I mean, they were educating me on foreign films. You know, if you grew up in Texas, mm -hmm. a foreign film is a movie made in Oklahoma or Arkansas, like that was foreign. Uh, and so they were helping me get an education in film. Uh, Richard, I mean, I, I had, you know, every album that Richard Pryor had ever made. And so you just, you the opportunity to to be in his presence, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of part uh, in his life when he was struggling and dealing uh, with a lot of health issues, uh, right. you, but you just feel, as you say, you kind of feel you, you just feel blessed and lucky that you are that you are there. And uh, I, I feel that way anytime I, I I come across actors like that that I've just had the opportunity to to be fans of forever. Mm. Yeah, and also you know since after that you were able to do some really great films. She's the man I absolutely love. It, it yeah. plays off of Shakespeare's um, The Twelfth Night, right? Yeah. Uh, so it has that that feel to it. And I love when they remake movies like that and make it modern. And 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 so that was one of my very, very favorite movies when I was younger. Also, you've done Race to Witch Mountain, which I also know about the original. Um, I've seen the original. So yeah. you did a great job of making it like your own and creating like new voices in that in Thank that um, movie, and you just keep hit at hit at the hit of family films. <laughs> so, so I have to know, like, from working as an executive, yeah, how did that lead to you working as a director? You know, it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting leap because when you are behind the scenes as an executive, you are seeing every, every discussion. You're, you're the one putting lists together with directors on it. You're the one putting writers lists, uh, actors lists. So you, you kind of approach it um, uh, with a big wide ranging idea of how do you get the movie made. When you are a director, it's all about that vision of what you're gonna do. I think what I was able to take with me and I think I've taken with me is Every time I approach a new project, I always, sometimes if the executives don't know, I try to let them know. I, I was on the other side for a long time. So you can, you can talk straight with me. You don't have to coddle me. You don't have to treat, you know, you can say that we don't like that. We don't like, 
and as an executive, those were the things that I always wished I could do at times and creatives that I could be really comfortable with. Uh, it was just a lot easier, I think, to collaborate, which all we do in the entertainment industry is collaborate. Mm. Right. Was it like an organic process from an executive to directing to producing or did you did you like reach a point after a couple of years of like working as an executive where you were like, I want to direct or was it a strategy to it? It was a little bit of the reverse, which was I all I just wanted to direct. I wanted to direct. I wanted to write. I wanted to produce. But when I moved here, I, I when I moved to L.A., I didn't know how to do any of that. And I was uh I literally graduated from uh, Texas Tech in Lubbock, Texas. Uh, I'm assuming it was your second choice school. And, uh, uh, and uh, I was a proud Red Raider. I am a proud Red Raider. But I, but you know, you come from Lubbock to Los Angeles, and you know, I sounded pretty much. This was me when I got to Los Angeles, and I was made just talking like, "Hey, y'all, I want to make a movie of with you," and. Um, and so you can imagine it was a little bit more difficult. So the only job, first job I could get was I was a tour guide at Universal Studios, uh, which probably was the hardest job I ever had to audition for and, uh, and loved it. And, uh, um, and so as I was trying to find my way, I, I had helped uh, create a theater company in, in Los Angeles called Fountainhead Theater Company. And that was giving me opportunities as a director uh, on stage, but I just found myself, you know, in Hollywood going the executive route, which was kind of paying the bills and was giving me a lot. So, and you know, the longer that went, the older you got, you start thinking, oh, if I, if I don't make a, a leap now, I don't know when I'm going to. And a project I did, Reefer Madness, which started as a, as a musical at my, uh, uh, my theater and uh, at the time in, in Los Angeles, and then ended up moving to New York and become a big fancy award-winning movies for Showtime. That was the big, I think, change because at that moment you sort of had to leap. And uh, an amazing woman, Verna Hera, whose company, I, the last company I was an executive at was Middle Fork Productions. We made Anaconda, um, our giant snake movie. And uh, Verna was such an amazing supporter. And that's where I met my producing partner, Betsy Selinger. And, uh, and Verna was the one who said to me, point blank, you have to make a decision. You're either going to stay and be an executive um, or you're going to go out in the big scary world and try to make it as a director and a writer. And that was the push I needed. Um, so you oh, never wow. pigeonholed yourself. You always like said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to move forward. I, I The only thing I ever can imagine was like my earliest memories was I just wanted to be creating. I just wanted to be, I just loved movies and film, you know, television and theater so much. That's all I wanted to do. And so from a young kid, when you dream that, that's, you know, you sort of hold on to it. My son, Austin, uh, who just graduated USC uh, uh, in cinema, and he, you know, I, his his mom uh, was a wonderful actress and, and turned talent manager, and he grew up in that environment. And I've watched him have the same sort of passion. And he's a lot smarter than I am, but I watched him have that same sort of passion about movies and learning that, you know, once you, it is that classic, once you're, when, whatever point in life the bug gets you, it is hard to shake that bug. And 
And those conversations about, you know, I, I just want to do this. This is, a, and at this point in life, I realize I'm not capable of doing anything else. I could not hold another job because I don't know what, I don't have, I don't have any skills. I have no skills. And uh, I could make, I could make a paper airplane, I made a paper airplane, I but I don't know who pays me for that. Maybe if somebody, I could put this on Etsy. <laughs> I can make more of these. I, but that's where I am. <laughs> no, I, I hear I hear you on that. You know what I wonder though? What were some of your like childhood inspirations as far as directing is concerned? Um well I I was very lucky. Gary Marshall was my one of my favorite directors uh, because yeah. I loved everything he did on television. I loved his films. I had the opportunity uh to end up uh meeting him and uh uh, he gave me my first award in Hollywood for Re for Reefer Madness, and uh, I I turned to him on a on a regular basis for advice and and mentorship. And I then had the opportunity to direct him both in Race to Witch Mountain as well as uh, on television and Live in Maddie. And so having that, Gene Wilder was another one. I just grew up and loved all of his movies. So the opportunity when I got to Hollywood to start looking at at directors and meeting them and finding out what their vision. The uh, She's the Man was produced by the amazing uh, Lauren Schuler Donner, the best producer ever, and her husband, Dick Donner, one of my all-time favorite uh, directors. And so, you know, the minute I got to meet Dick Donner, I was like, I don't, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I don't know what, I, you know. So asking, you know, those opportunities to meet people, to ask questions, uh, it, it, Again, just very feeling very blessed and lucky. Hmm. You know, I see a a theme in all of the the movies that you are associated associated with. I mean, uh, they all have like a feel good kind of quality to that. And you have such an outgoing personality, and you're so fun and playful. Like, what attracts you to a project? I think it's very kind of you to say that. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm attracted to, I'm a kid who grew up looking at movies in the mall. Like I'm attracted to movies and television that I would want to watch. So I was never, um, I, and I love watching everything. So there are so many amazing, important films and, and I walk away and I'm crying and I'm all of that. Um, I, I like to entertain. I like if you can put a smile on someone's face for a couple of hours, that's a pretty good gig. Um, family entertainment's a really tricky um, area because you're trying to find four quadrants. You, can you make adults laugh and kids laugh? And kids are really just brutally honest. Like kids will be like, that sucks. And you're like, I don't, that's literally just my own son just yelling at me. Just showing them like footage, like rude. Um, but kids at any age, like you know, they fidget, they get bored, and then you have the other side, which is the adults, and the adults are the ones who will be like, "I didn't want to take my kid to that movie. I didn't want to do," and and so you try to find. My wife, uh, Kristen's an amazing. She's a, a, a amazing writer, of film and and television, and. A lot of times, you know, she and she'll get so excited about something and she'll look at me and be like, you could direct this. And 
I know where it's coming from because it feels like it's in, you know, my wheelhouse. Uh, and I'll look at it and be like, yeah. So I think you just want to get excited by material. I, it's a long time to get things made. And more importantly, it's a long time to watch a lot of things you love disappear. So mm-hmm. for everything you get made, there's 10 things that didn't get made. And you're going to fall in love with all of those. And you're going to spend years trying to move something forward. It's never a, it's never a phone call and like, hey, here's a script. Let's start shooting on Tuesday. See you then. Um, it's just a lot of heartbreak. And so your energy has to remain so positive. Uh, and I feel by the time you get to a movie or television or theater, you've gone through so many obstacles that you just, hopefully you are smiling because uh, now you got about another year ahead of you to create it, bring it to life. And then you still have to watch it come out. And sometimes your movie comes out, it's a big hit, or your TV show comes out and it's a big hit, or your theater, big hit. Other times, all that time, and, you know, nobody's, you know, your mom calls you and is like, why did you make that movie? And you're like, I don't how did you get my phone number? Um, that's got to stop. And, uh, but that is, that is, that's this process. Mm-hmm. So, so what are some of the obstacles that you've faced and you've had to overcome? Um, I'm not super tall. So a lot of times the building, <laughs> the door, doors sometimes door handles are tricky. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to, I don't, and then I'm always like, I've directed the rock a couple of times and he's actually very tiny. He's like four eleven, and then we just cheat him. And, um, uh, you know, uh, my journey's, I don't, I don't think any, any different than anyone else, which is we're trying to find somebody to say, yes, you are trying to find somebody to, to help that next process. And as passionate as you are, you know, you write a script and you're like, I love it. And you give it to five people and five people are like, it's great. And then you're like, well, the first five people that I live with told me they love it. And then <laughs> someone you don't know, and they're like, I'm confused. Why does the dog talk? And you're like, because mm, the name of the movie is Talking Dog. So the dog had to talk. So you you just get frustrated that along the way, there are so many opportunities for speed bumps. And sometimes you learn from those speed bumps. Sometimes you think, you know what? You're right. I'm, that's a good note. I'm going to adjust it. Sometimes you you know you start creating it in one arena and it changes sometimes a film becomes a tv show sometimes a straight play becomes a musical like you mm-hmm. and that's part of the creative process too i mean i i i'm always inspired by great artists you know whether it's a novelist or a painter or a musician or a dancer and you hear their story and you think that you know they're for every amazing Rolling Stone song, I'm sure there is a room of of songs that no one's heard yet. Right. Um, but, and so that's, right. I think that's part of the process is you just have to, you got to accept that no is not the end. No is just mm-hmm. uh, a shut door. You just got to keep going until you find the door to open. Mm. You know, it's interesting that you talk about that. I've, I, I'm hearing you just talk consistently about mindset. And um, what type of qualities and mindset do you think that people need to succeed for longevity in this industry? 
Um, you know, I think that your hope is that you can just stay positive and passionate knowing that you are going to be told no so much. I spend a lot of time, I, we've had a lot of interns at our company. I, I speak at a lot of universities. And one of the things I would always sort of get known for a bit was the opposite, which is I'd start very negative. I would sort of talk about the most horrible things, like every like you're not gonna make it. And, and part of it was if I'm the one who convinces you you're not gonna make it, you were never like, was never meant to be. And, and it should be that it's just picking yourself up by the bootstraps and moving forward. And so I, I, I try to treat each day like it's a new day. Uh, what I love about creativity for all of us, an actor, a producer, a writer, that's on us. Like nobody is gonna, nobody's gonna call us. Maybe somebody calls and is like, hey, here's an offer, but you have an idea, it's up to you to create it. It's, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna create my stuff. You're gonna create your stuff. Maybe we're gonna come together, but that means you wake up every morning having that new energy. And we've all been like, there are times when every day feels like a pandemic. There are times when you wake up and you're like, ah, I'm just gonna lay here and watch Scooby-Doo all day long. And does McDonald's deliver? And by deliver, can they just bring it to my bed and just put it? Can they just feed me? Just drop a drop a McNugget and just just drop a McNugget and just pour. So I don't care what the sauce. Just pour it in my mouth and leave your fries. And I just like we have those days all the time. And then worse, we're in an industry where we it's all show off. So you know we your project isn't going forward, and then the next day you know, all over social media or all over the news is like, hey guys, I just sold my movie in it and we're gonna film it. And we're gonna, Yay. I can't I can't wait to see that that you sold that. And they're like, yeah, I mean, it was the hardest four weeks of my life to create it. And you're like, okay, I'm just gonna I got the script that I spent nine years on and there's literally a dead person under it who's holding it. There's a skeleton holding the script. I'm just going to go tell my, that's my old writing partner. He died waiting for it to happen. I'm so excited that it took you four weeks. That's right. Tom Cruise is going to do it too. Oh, that's fantastic. I just could go over here and watch Top Gun and cry. <laughs> no, you're, like, so we, I don't think other industries, I just, I, I, I just don't think that that happens in a lot of other industries. I don't, you know, I guess it does. Everybody is competitive, but ours is just so in your face or we all have ideas. And then all of a sudden, nope, that's just like the idea I had. And somebody else went and made a movie about it. And so, oh, good. I'm so glad I'm watching it. That's how it would have looked if my name was on it. And then you have to call your mom and explain what you do for a living. And she doesn't understand. But, doesn't understand any of it and still sending you pamphlets for job choices or tell, you know, you're a grown up man. And she's like, have you considered applying for another, you should learn a tech trade. I'm like, I don't, I can't even operate my computer. How am I going to learn? Who's calling me to come fix something? But that is, so your family doesn't help you either staying positive. And, you know, you spend all that time writing a, a, a script for free. You're, Writing a spec script, that is your job. You write that script, you put your heart into it. And then, some, you know, all you hear back is, 
who's paying you for that? <laughs> and then you didn't have to say it because you know that you say it, you hear it where you're like, well, nobody. And they're like, uh-huh. So you spent how long writing something for nobody? <laughs> you know, well, I mean, somebody might buy it. That is an actor going on auditions, you know? Who pays you for the audition? Well, nobody. I'm, I will get paid someday when I get hired. That doesn't sound like a job, right? That just doesn't, that just sounds like you, what, what do you do for a job? And you're like, that's my job. I believe in me. <laughs> That's just like this. I, when I say when you're talking about the script, how you're sitting on a script for like years, that seems to be the story of my life. Like you'll have like a script and then you'll be talking to someone and then they'll be like, yeah, I just, you know, made two movies and, you know, yeah, I'm working on my third one right now. And then you're like, hold up. <laughs> been working on this one movie for five years and I can't get one person to fund it, but you did it in what, a year? And you yeah. got two movies made? Yeah. And... and no matter what, those people will find you. That it, You will never be found by people who are like, oh, oh, I've been doing this for 20 years and I have, no. You will only find the people who are like, I'm while I'm talking to you, I'm filming my movie. I'm literally on my <laughs> while I'm filming. Hold on, action! I'm just—it's so great to get caught up with you. I'd love to talk to you later, but I'm going to go sell something and film it right after this. Uh, those are the people who find you, and then you go home and you're again back to being like, "How do I? How do I stay positive? How do I create something new?" It's a little bit like dating—you go out on X, Y, and Z dates and then you're like, all right, that didn't work. Now, how do I try it again? And maybe I try something a little different. We should have some sort of like Tinder scripts where we just swipe. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I'm still holding on to this in case somebody wants to bid on it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to sign it. I know the rock. We're starting bids in the comments. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Oh, hashtag so, no, artist struggle. There, that's, that's what it is. That's what it so is. You want to you know what I was going to say, too? You, one of the common themes that we have with our interviews is people always say, create your own opportunities. Like, you have to get out there and start doing things for yourself. How did you start your production company? Um. And first of all, congratulations to you both because I'm on your show. <laughs> I you created an opportunity, right? Like, right. I didn't call you and say, hey, do a show that I can come and be on. You called me, and so you you created something. Same with me. I, I was looking for opportunities and realizing, uh, again, my producing partner, Betsy Selinger, she and I had just been together for so long talking about what if, what if, what if that we decided what if we create our own opportunities. And and we have been very blessed and lucky uh, to have talented people working with us. Our head of development, Mary-Kate Meek, is just very smart and keeps things going. And we have partnered with so many wonderful writers and directors and producers and actors. Uh, you know, we try to have a no assholes policy. So, uh, um, and that usually is just Betsy telling me not to show up to a meeting. Uh, apparently, I'm the asshole. So, uh, uh, but I learned. I learned. Um, but it, but you just create. You know, I 
I think it was just both of us realizing that rather than waiting for somebody to give us that script, why don't we go create that script? And it was the smartest move I ever made. Um, because if not, it doesn't mean that you can't wait by the phone for your agent or manager to call you or for a friend to call you. But we're in the business of, of creating ideas and ideas come a mile a minute. And rather than putting it in a shelf for four years, we just try to jump as quickly as we can. Mm -hmm. um, for you for you and your producing partner, uh, me and Tish, like my, my strengths are her weaknesses and her weaknesses are my strengths. So and the same thing, we were like, oh, we should start a podcast. We should start a podcast. We should, we should. And we, and we just ended up saying, okay, let's stop saying we are, we're gonna do. Is that the dynamic with you and your producing partner? Is her strengths, your weaknesses and vice versa? No, she's just strong and I'm weak. So ultimately, ultimately it's just, I'm just weak. I just follow her. Sometimes she lets me talk. Another time, like I, uh, you know, we do try, we compliment each other in the sense that we are, we have very different tastes too. And, and at the same time, we both know, I think what the other one would, would respond to. Um, if one of us is like, I hate it, then again, it's a long time and a lot of energy to get something made. You don't want to slog it around if you don't love it. And and sometimes you have to talk through just the business of it. Where does this land in the landscape? How much time is going to be allotted for it? And how do we get it made? If we have a plan that comes together quickly in our heads, we know that generally we made the right choice. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, the name is so interesting. Oops, Donuts Enter Entertainment. It's still that same theme of playfulness. How did you guys come up with the name? The name is uh, a thousand percent uh, courtesy of my son, Austin. When he was uh, uh, very little, uh, for a long period of time, the only thing he would ever say to his mother and myself was, oops, Donuts. He just said that all the time. He we have no idea why, but it was like, you'd, just, you'd be like, you want that? He's like, oh, donuts, oh, donuts. So by the time it, it was time to think of a company name, a lot of times you're like, it should be the, the name you grew up, the street you grew up on or something. It just felt like Oops Donuts was perfect. And, uh, uh, and I love that people ask about it and I can tell that story. Um, the flip side is over the years, at any given point, somebody called the office asking what donuts we have that day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> and we were in one meeting once with a team of people who uh, had given us the suggestion, maybe you guys should also start a donut place where as well as your production company. I was like, so, it's hard enough to sell movies. Now you want me to sell apple fritters? <laughs> I don't. I might look like I have eaten a lot of donuts, but no point have I ever walked in and been like, "Guys, wait to take this blueberry muffin. It is gonna rock your world." That ain't happening. So, and then you know, I, think I got depressed. I was like, "Wait, are they telling me I should just quit?" Like that's the is that the easiest way to be like the movie thing? Well, how would you feel about just 
selling donuts. And I was like, I, oh, and obviously nothing wrong with selling donuts. I just don't have a, I don't have a recipe or equipment to sell the donut. Um, so I had to say no. And then I think you could do it. You you could totally you could totally sell donuts. You could totally sell donuts. You want to know why? Niche. No, let me tell you because because things don't sell itself. People sell it, and you're a people person. Okay. So you know, I, you, you, you know so you, and I've known you for a long time, but I appreciate. It, but this is what I have this vision now. I'm literally standing next to that thing in the wind that blows people like does work for people, to see them. and I'm holding a sign that's literally pushing, like apple fritters half price. And then, and I got good energy in the morning because this thing's happening. I like this. I'm trying to keep up with it, but after like five people turning me down, then I'd be like sad guy, and then my thing would be all like that. And then at the end of the day, I just give you an apple fritter. I'd be like, you want one? I got 800 apple fritters I can't sell. Uh, and then at the same time, I'd be like, also, do you have a script? I, I'll give you the script with my apple fritter. It could that. find your next script, though. It could find your next script. Yeah, I, I could. But <laughs> I'd be selling my apple fritters. And then I'd be hearing two people in line talking about how they just sold their movie about, you know, this great movie about a guy who created donuts. And then I'd be literally just eating, I'd be angry eating my donut as I hear two people talk about a movie that they just sold that took them seven days to write. Yeah, it took a day to write. It took a day to write it. And then to celebrate, they're buying my donuts. And they're like, we'll have one of each. We're celebrating. We just sold a movie about donuts called Donuts Oops. And then I'd be like, what? And I just lie down on the floor and cry. Oh no. But wait a second. When you lay down on the floor to cry, you have a really gorgeous, beautiful daughter. I saw on Instagram. I mean, you're talking about being sad about your script, but your baby, baby Georgie, she is so cute. I was telling Tish, I was like, have you seen this baby? Like, I mean, like the world lights up. I was like that smile. And I'm just going to tell you, I, I take, I've taken care of a lot of kids. So I know babies. That's a cute baby. You could, you wouldn't even be able to be sad. Well, full disclosure, there was a long casting like search to find the perfect baby. And, uh, she's going to be good for a while. I mean, it would have been great if we had a twin because that's always a lot easier, but, um, but she has been great. She she's a wonderful little actress. Every time we turn on the camera, and are like, smile, pretend like I'm your dad. And uh, little Georgie is uh, she is pretty special. She has I listen between Austin and Georgie, I am uh, very very lucky. And uh, Georgie's mom is uh, 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 the sunshine that makes everything happen. Uh, well, she, they can sell the donuts. Oh. Ever thought oh, about that? <laughs> now you're, now you're bringing it full circle, and I like that. Yeah, I'll be there honest. All I heard was, "I don't have to work," and someone brings me donuts. That's all. <laughs> I don't know if I got, I don't know if I got the full message you were spreading, but I think I did. I think I did. Yeah, basically. Well, Tish, we got a question. Uh, yeah, did you. See that? We do have a question. Um, 
so yes so Devon is asking um how what your plans are to film um for film production during covid uh uh that is a the number one question on everyone's mind uh our show for netflix is called the crew uh we were filming in long island uh and when uh, we were just finished episode seven of 10 when we were shut down and we are now making every effort to get back to complete filming. And, you know, the good news is everybody, every union is acting responsibly to try to get the, the, the safest way for the cast, for the crew, for background artists, for everyone in the office, for the drivers. We have to make this a safe environment. And, um, and and we are doing that. And at the same time, we got to get back to filming. You know, everybody, you got to find a way to um, to pick up where we left off. And it means getting creative. But I think one of the things we do best in in as storytellers is we get creative. Is we find a way that if somebody says to you, "Hey guys, I love your script, but you can't do it on this bridge. Can't afford that bridge." Well, then you go back and you rewrite and figure out how to do it. So in this current environment where we are dealing with social distancing issues, uh, we're dealing with how to, how to make it safe, how to stage it, and how to make it still look natural, uh, you get creative. And every day we have these conversations uh, and uh, multiple projects of ours that were in, in mode of going. Uh, it's now about going, but doing it right. And as soon as we can address all the issues that everybody needs addressed, uh, rightfully so, we'll be up and running. Yeah, it, and it kind of feels like, cause I've done like six COVID plans right now for the unions. Yeah. It kind of feels like there's gonna be somewhat of this, a new normal, you know? Like a, a shift in how we are going to interact on set on sets. And the challenge for like someone like me as a line producer has been, how can I explain to people that you is only can be like a certain amount of people in this area when it's your job to light, when it's your job to powder, when yeah. like it, the days are gonna be longer, you know, you have to add more to your budget. So I do feel like there's gonna be like a different way, maybe we talked about the French model on one of our shows, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, about the French model. You saw an article. Well, I saw an article that basically was talking about the the re, the death and rebirth of Hollywood, and, ba yeah. and basically it was just talking about how our economy, not just the entertainment industry, but our economy in general, has gone through a crisis, yeah. and um, that there what they were saying with the entertainment industry is that they're going to move towards a French model, which is going to be like less hours um, on set, but longer periods of shooting. And also just a really great time for people who are creating and writing like Hollywood is going to shift. Um, how do you think that it's going to shift and how can people, how can people, a lot, a lot of artists and entrepreneurs watch the show, how can they position themselves so that they can like, level up during this shift? I, I think one of the things, even on a, on a macro level, you know, after 9-11, everything that happened it with TSA and airports, where all of a sudden we were like, I have to take my shoes off. I have to take my uh, computer out. I have to, that became a huge shift. We weren't used to it. You 
then go to the airport and and undergo it. And that that is our new normal. That is what we know. Now we have been educated. And I think in, in film, for a lot of people who might not know that the notion of French hours uh, is really this notion of a shorter kind of an, a, an actual shorter shooting day that takes out uh, delays. And one of the biggest delays a lot of times, weirdly enough, is lunch. Lunch becomes a, a sit down. How do you get everybody in there eating? I take a five hour lunch. Uh, no, no matter what day, even today I took a five. I'm I'm almost done with my lunch. I'm not <laughs> done yet. I'm on hour four of my five hour lunch. I took a break to do this and then I'm gonna go back and finish that. And then I'll take a short break before dinner, obviously. Um, but, uh, but if you take that lunch out, if you take the time, if you take actors out of the equation where you're sending them back, now they have to do touch-ups and all the, that's an hour and a half, two hours out of your day very quickly. And the French idea is not uh, the Euro that way of, uh, and not just in France do they do it, it happens all over the place. Um, the idea is, is a little bit more of a walking lunch. The idea is that person can go off and get that food for 15 minutes and everybody, you just keep going. So your day ends earlier. There's probably a good way for that anyway, because we've always dealt with safety issues. When you start pushing 13, 14, 15, 16 hour days for people, mm -hmm. like that's dangerous. People get tired. So yeah. it means that model of you going in as a line producer, you creating a, a period of time with the script. If the scripts don't get shorter, then you're probably adding a few more days. And you know, what, what's interesting is usually a few more days is cheaper than overtime. That when you start adding onto your schedule, if you, you know, usually say, well, I, if I have three more days versus hot cost every night of overtime, I go two hours over every night, the overtime is what's killing you. You could have easily had those days. So I think that we will approach it with what's the best way. And also we're trying to stay healthy. And People, anyone who's been on a film set or a TV set knows that, you know, we were just recirculating, you know, you'd come in, you'd come in sick because you thought, oh, I got to fill my scene today. And you would do that and they, you know, somebody would come over and, you know, give you a hand sanitizer for like, you know, eight seconds and that was it. We just kept working. The pandemic has taught us that there has to be a completely new way to do it. And that means if so-and-so shows up to work and they are running a fever, you send them home. You don't question, let them get the shot. But then, you know, when we're filming, we have rain cover. If we, if it was raining outside, you know, we're gonna go in and do that. Well, I think you're gonna have to approach filming like rain cover all the time, which is, oh, so-and-so Tish got sick. She can't work today. Therefore, what can we still shoot and make a, make the most of our day? So that could mean days get a little bit longer, but on the shortened side, it means that maybe you're going home earlier, safer and getting some sleep. Uh, so you're not sick all the time. Yeah, and I agree. I've never been a huge fan of like overtime because of the turnaround, yeah. you know, you want to get daylight, you know, you want to get in as early as possible and it's, almost impossible without having to do overtime and rolling over overtime and then rolling over overtime unless you have a break. So I've never been a huge fan of having 
like 12 to 14 hour days because people get upset too. Their mood, <laughs> their mood, their moods are directly impacted by the lack of sleep that they get. And yeah, by the way, if you interrupt my five hour lunch and tell me I got to go back to get to work, I'm going to be angry. <laughs> I am not done with my sleep. Always like to finish someone, with says someone in the comments says they're they're a fan of your five hour lunch. <laughs> Thank you. Finally, I am pushing this. This doesn't just have to be me, people. This could be this could be a national campaign that we take, we take back our five hour lunch. At some point, I think there was a five hour lunch, and then somebody was like, "No more five hour lunch." That's some dumb. corporate head, some corporate head was like, "You know what?" Yeah. They were, dish, they were looking at the bottom line and they're like, let me get this straight. If we didn't have a five hour lunch, what else would they do for like four of those five hours? Would they work? <laughs> that's one way to think about it. I don't know if that's maybe, maybe, you know what I would do if you took away my five hour lunch and told me I had one hour, I'd spend four hours thinking about my five hour lunch. <laughs> I would just write in my journal. I'd start journaling, and I would write what I what I was gonna have on my next out. But now I gotta think. You don't have five hours to make decisions. Yes, Andy for president. Yeah, I. There you go. My, my one. <laughs> my one campaign slogan. That's our way to get our country back. Uh uh. Our uh, There you go. It has nothing to do with the French. There's going to be America's five-hour America's five-hour lunch plan. That's that's my. Uh, well, Andy. So, have you been making a lot of quarantine meals? Because I know, like during the quarantine, that's all I think about is what I'm going to eat for breakfast, I, lunch, and dinner. I've been I've been very blessed that my wife uh, has been making a lot of the quarantine meals. My, I, we are in uh, lovely Minnesota. Uh, uh, with my amazing uh, mother-in-law who's been making quarantine milk. Uh, uh, I have made uh, zero quarantine meals. <laughs> I, have, uh, I have eaten quarantine meals. Uh, so I am now feeling the COVID-19, which is more like the COVID-22 right now on me. <laughs> so, um, We'll see how it all works out. So your mother-in-law, she's running a cafeteria. I've heard a lot of people talk about that. They said they feel like they're running a cafeteria in the corner. Uh, Jan said, you know, I remember one day we sat down and she said she didn't, she was like, ah, so I'm sort of bored with what we're cooking. And we're like, don't be bored. It's amazing. Like, and then we just gave her a list of other, like, do you know how to make Chateaubriand? Um, and she didn't, but she'll learn. She will learn. We're going to be here forever. Never leave. That's what we have to do. Cause it just seems like we're going to be in quarantine forever. I know. Forever. I know. So, you know, I also think there, so there are a lot of, um, young filmmakers out here and I think, um, you know, I, I always tell people that you can be multifaceted in this industry. Like you have people who are directors who turn producers, producers who turn actors. So for people who don't necessarily have the skills or they don't understand like a skill set, what advice would you give them to maybe transition from, from one to the next? 
I, I would definitely say that practicing, like what's great about storytelling now is how much you can do storytelling on your own. So if you are a writer, go write. If you, and, and if you have never thought about writing, then try it. If you are a filmmaker, take your phone and try to shoot a story. Try like what I've been impressed with, with stuff like TikTok is in short form, how many people have all of a sudden created so much TikTok uh, content. And same with what was happening on you know Instagram. So what I'm seeing is a lot of people who are homebound, who are getting an opportunity to pick up their phone and start creating. And I think you have to, again, no one's gonna pick up the phone and call you and tell you to do that. If there is a part of you thinking about it, if you're an actor, what are you doing? You know, don't just wait, create and go out and do, by the way, that sounded pretty good when I said like, that's on a shirt. Yeah, that was actually really good. Just yeah. that down. Um, but if there was a, uh, but I think you have to go out and really create uh, every day. And, and it's hard because if no one's motivating you, you know, and, but you have that dream, I think, if, you know, somebody's a singer, they pick up the phone and they sing. If a painter just picks up and paints and starts going and you're only going to get better the more you do it. Um, it's never going to be a home run the first time that it's out the gate. How yeah, long did it take you until you got your first opportunity? Because you said you moved from Texas to LA and then you worked at Universal, but how long was it until you landed that executive position to get like your foot in the door? I mean, it took a while. I, I was a tour guide for a couple of months, and then I ended up going in the mailroom of a talent agency called Triad, which then became, weirdly enough, my agency that where I'm represented with now is what became ultimately Triad, where Triad had started. So I'm repped by where I used to be in the mailroom. Um, and, uh, and I did that for about a year. And then I got this opportunity with Gene Wilder. And when I got the opportunity with Gene Wilder, that was, uh, that began everything. So I'd say it was about a year and a half of, of just trying to figure that out. As, but then, you know, then it was another five, six years of trying to put the focus on what does it mean to be an executive? Like then it became, then it became that. And uh, and all the while trying to figure out what I'm doing as a writer, what I'm doing as a director. Mm. As artists, you know, we, I know sometimes for me, I always feel like, okay, I, I dive into everything that I do. Like, I'm quite sure when you were at the mail room, you were just really into the mail room. <laughs> when you were executive, you were really into the executive. Like, how did you like keep those feelings at bay of like, okay, I'm doing what I need to do to like pay my bills, but also like I have this this goal like that I want to achieve. Like, how did you navigate that that kind of mental tug of war, but still stay motivated? I, I found myself really focused on. First of all, I was I really was excited that I was a tour guide. I was like, I am at Universal Studios. Like I. I'm wearing a name tag. I've just graduated from college and my name tag says Andy. And I am wearing, I think they were, the wardrobe was like called the Swiss design or something. Like I had, but I had a cram. And people would call and ask me, all my friends had just graduated college and they were all like going to become bankers and doctors and lawyers. And they'd be like, 
what are you doing in Hollywood? And I was like, public relations for Universal Studios. <laughs> They're like, that's amazing. Can we come visit you? And I'm like, if you spend $37 and get a ticket, you can. Um, <laughs> me on my tram. So by the time I got into a, by the time I got into the mailroom, I was excited about that opportunity, but I remember calling everybody I knew because I felt like I had just been given new information about, oh God, this is how Hollywood really works. And and so I, as much as it was, um, you know, you don't, I didn't dream of someday working in a mailroom. Um, it was a, uh, it was an, it, it was something that I just felt such a tremendous opportunity. And I just uh, tried to absorb it all every day. And then I think it started to becoming like, oh, I don't know if I want to be an agent. I think I want to be more creative. So that opportunity to go working for Gene Wilder and Susan Ruskin was, was a tremendous opportunity to start paving a different pathway. Like I, I pivoted at that moment. If not, I, I would have stayed. And, you know, there were definitely times I thought about it. It was like, oh, maybe that's what I'm meant to do. But it, it, the storytelling didn't, uh, uh, wasn't going to happen going that route. Yeah. You know, I hear a lot of artists say that, um, you know, when they've really found their purpose, it's like something's just tugging at them, pulling at them. Because a lot of the times, and I started as an actress. That's how I met Andrew, FYI. <laughs> and Andrew, because I, Andrew Schaefer, the greatest talent, like uh, puts all people together. He is the best. Yeah, he is just, um, he's so amazing. I met Andrew Schaefer because I was auditioning and it was actually between my transition from being an actor to a line producer, which I'm still an actress, but I'm mostly for work <laughs> because I get paid. <laughs> And I had, at the time, I had anxiety about not being paid as an actress. Sure. It was so much anxiety. <laughs> but, you know, like between that and um, between being an actress and the transition of being a line producer, you know, I still had that thing, you know, that thing tugging me at the creative part. Did you feel that way when you were an executive? Did you feel like something was tugging you oh, towards the I. Uh, every every moment I would leave, you know, I would leave the, the my executive job at seven and drive to the theater with Andrew Schaefer. And we would work at, at our at Fountainhead Theater. We would create from, you know, eight o'clock at night till five o'clock the next morning and then drive. So so the day job, the Hollywood job was like that everybody thought was so great, which it was, was not fulfilling me creatively. It was the theater job where I was working with a bunch of friends for no money and, you know, trying to figure out who was going to go buy toilet paper that week. That was, uh, cause after a five hour lunch, you're going <laughs> to, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist, but that is science right there working for you. Um, but there was a, uh, uh, always that thing. I didn't, you know, I would be on, I'd be in meetings listening to a director or a writer or a producer talk. And I would think, Oh, no, that's not what I would do. And I was like, well, not my, it is not my place to tell them what I would do. If I want to do it, I got to go do it. And so it, it was very clear to me that I was being pulled to do that. 
yeah and i think um I, I tell artists all the time that just because you're good at something, you know, like people have like certain skills, like I'm really good at like money or finance. That doesn't necessarily mean that's your vision for life, you know, Yeah. because you, you're very skilled at something, you know, the, just because you're a skilled carpenter, that doesn't mean you can't be a great actor. No way. So, Harrison, Ford, Harrison Ford started, he, he was an amazing carpenter. And to this day, he's still like I think he still builds, but that's what like he's he was an amazing carpenter. Like that was a skill of his. I don't yeah, have and, that skill. I don't and Judge George Clooney was a great farmer. He was a really great farmer as oh, well. Yeah, that's right. I remember him yeah. saying that. Yeah. And you're a great five hour lunch taker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Harrison Ford had that, including like mine is really more uh Produce base because I like to go. I go from a lot of people go from farm to table. I just go from farm to mouth, and then it, you skip the table. I don't let Harrison Ford build the table. Uh, I don't need. It. I need we need to get you a picnic bib. I just need you know what that bib. I need Georgie's bib. I need yes, Georgie. I. That's what I need. It's so um, I want to ask the no, I'm going to let you ask the question about the uh, protest. Oh, OK. Um, so I don't know if you have you been out protesting, um, Andy? I, we have not left. I have not left uh, this basement. Okay. Uh, <laughs> That's OK. So I, I've been out protesting and some of the chants that I've been hearing, they're very creative. Like people are getting very creative and, you know, protesting is a very serious thing, um, racial injustice and all of that. But sometimes when I've been protesting, I've been hearing like chants and repeating things that I don't want to repeat. Like I, I didn't sign up for that. So, but I'm saying it and I realized I didn't sign up for that. So um, we, everybody that comes on the show, we believe in um, using our platform for um, for change. And so we do want to say uh, arrest the cops that killed Breonna Taylor, number one. Yes. And um, the second thing is if you were leading your own protest to make this world a better place for baby Georgie and Austin, um, what would your chant be? What, do, do, does it have to be a, do I have to write it in chant form? No, it could, it could be a phrase of whatever, something that you want to tell the world to make it a better place or aside from five hour lunches, which I think would be, <laughs> and, and I think you could do it to like that subway, like five hour, five hour lunches, like that, <laughs> right? Um, I, boy, I would just, I, I literally, it's what you kind of think of every day, which is, um, stop with the madness like it is just i don't i i don't want i i, I don't understand look i grew up uh white jewish in in west texas um so white could work good in west texas jewish wasn't always the place and so all of us a lot of times have our own things that we've dealt with that shouldn't be the case for any of us I mean, it just, it shouldn't be, a, this should not be a conversation. Certainly should not be a conversation in 2020. And then 
it shouldn't be a conversation because what is the alternate argument? Like what conversation is, I have an opinion. What is your opinion? There should like, if I go outside and we all agree, air keeps us alive. I don't imagine someone's going to come up to me and counter that. Well, nope. I, you know, air is bad. Let me tell you why. My grandfather, he created air. Right. My grandma, 500 years ago, we created it. Like, we just all accept that as like fact. Right. So when you turn on the news and you see what it, what happens around the globe and especially here in our country, and you see the importance of people out with their voice singing out, right. part of the madness is why, like, thank you for doing it. Why, why are we in a society that you have to do that? And why is there someone on the other side that has a different opinion of what is just normal? What is just like that to me is just like, I, I don't, I can't get now, by the way, all of that is going to be very hard to condense to a chant. So yeah. I five hour lunch. Cause then Probably everybody will just go for that more than the. Than the <laughs> no, I think I think people would be happier if I think that the five-hour lunch would probably make this world a better place because people would be happier. So I think that is. Yeah. The I think you're right. If, you know, if we had a five-hour lunch, there would be somebody who would be like, "My grandfather had a nine-hour lunch. <laughs> nine-hour lunches built this country." There's a statue of the guy who created nine-hour lunches, and it's right there. There's always going to be one. There's always going to be one. By the way, I'd appreciate it if it was only just one. Sometimes one brings friends, and you're like, how, yeah. did, how did all of you, was there a something in the, like, the gene pool that everybody swam and they they call that the Karens and the Kevins of the world. <laughs> also, even that, it's all over the internet when you do something stupid like that. What shouldn't that be enough to be like, I should not become a crazy racist on camera? Shouldn't that be the thing that like note to self, safety belt on? 10 and 2 at the wheel. Don't say crazy racist shit. Like, <laughs> gonna film it. And then don't act all crazy. Like, I can't believe I lost my job as a school administrator. Uh, well, yeah. That part exactly. right there. <laughs> that part. There you go. There you go. Thank Andy. you so much for coming, Andy. <laughs> uh, and you, you should they're, they're laughing. They're laughing. And I think it's like while everybody's quarantined, this is the laugh that they need. <laughs> you gotta look, it's a hard, it's a hard industry. You gotta laugh. I half the time I say yeah. stuff but later on. I'm telling someone, like, you know that I, like I'm just trying to have some fun right now. Uh, but you gotta laugh. And you also just yeah. doing what you two did, which was you called each other and said, Hey. Let's do something. Let's create something. And now you've created something. And hopefully what it means is today and other shows that you've done will inspire other people who are sitting there watching and saying, yeah, what am I going to create? And the best thing about creating, you can start anytime. 
There, it doesn't happen on a Monday or a Friday or Saturday. Doesn't happen at any age. Doesn't be like, I know sometimes we set that goal of like in five years, if I haven't done this, I'm gonna do something else. Like, doesn't yeah. you have the ability to create? I'm I'm happy you said that because that that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this is really to inspire artists because I just see so many talented people all the time and it's just all it takes is for you to just believe in yourself and create your own opportunities, mm. which is the point, people. And we wanted to just be truthful in doing it. So all yes. of the wealth of knowledge that you just dropped in this interview, Andy, I mean, people can clearly see that courage is not the absence of fear, but the ability to act in the presence of fear. You were scared at times, you were unsure at times, but you did it anyway. And I mean, me and Tish are scared sometimes, but we do it anyway. So still scared and still unsure every day. Like I keep waiting, you know, I'm I'm still waiting for the moment where I'm like, oh, oh, now I can see how easy my career in Hollywood, and now I can see how easy this is. Every day, every day is a new challenge. Every day is something that you're like, oh, didn't expect that. No greater than us all waking up one day and having the pandemic that we're currently in and seeing how it's affected so many lives and seeing how it's gonna to continue to affect lives. But we're still now figuring out, all right, how do we roll with that? How do we, how do we come, like we don't, you can't just lie down and give up. You figure out how to move forward and in any element that you do in the entertainment industry and probably, I think in any job, you gotta figure out how to just move forward. It's gonna be bad days and good days. Yeah, and that's the goal. That's the goal. Andy, thank you so much again, guys. We are so excited that you joined us again this evening. And thank we will you for having me. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So, guys, we will see you next Thursday, 8 p.m. Same time. Oh, wait, Fish. Also, um, Andy, what is your Instagram handle so everybody can follow you on social media? I don't know. Um, it's her director. H-E-R-R-D-I-R-E-K-T-O-R. Here's how you know the interview has just ended horribly. When they're like, Andy, what's your last name? And you're like, uh, 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 I I made an origami triangle. It's a triangle. Can go that way or that way. Uh, Guys, blow his social media up. Follow him. He's awesome, as you can clearly see, so you can stay updated with everything that he's doing. Okay. (laughs) We'll see you next week. (laughs) This is a good song, Tish.